to Subtext and Discourse, the podcast which takes you behind the scenes of the art world with the unique individuals involved in the field. I'm your host, Michael Dooney, founding director of Berlin-based gallery for contemporary photography, video art and related lens-based media, Jarvis Dooney. My guest today is Felix Hoffman. Felix is the chief curator of CO Berlin, first private foundation in Germany dedicated to the promotion of photography and visual media. Quoting their website, each year, CO Berlin shows as many as 12 solo and group exhibitions of internationally distinguished photographers, such as Annie Leibowitz, Martin Parr, Nan Golden, Anton Corbin, Peter Lindbergh, or Irving Penn. Talks, lectures, panels, performances, screenings, and guided tours intensify and expand on selected exhibition content and artistic approaches, which have been curated and compiled in collaboration with renowned museums, collections, and art institutions worldwide. Felix tells me how he took on the role of Chief Curator, the development of the Foundation, and the various initiatives they run. As well, of course, the impact Corona has had on programming this year and how they're coping with the situation. Just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to Subtext and Discourse wherever you consume your podcasts, and be sure to share this episode with others who you feel will find it interesting. So without further ado... Please enjoy today's episode with Felix Hoffman. Where are you from, actually? I'm born in Bavaria in the south of Germany. Then I left this area. Yeah, and that was it? <laughs> no, that, no, that's... First, I went to Paris to work as uh, au pair, and I had three kids there. And then I went to Vienna and had the wish to become a sculptor. And then I was there at the Arts Academy, and there were three parties One party was using wood and stone and traditional materials. The next party used blood in the tradition of the Viennese actionism. Mm -hmm. And the third party was just sitting there and writing concepts. And I was in my early 20s and understood really nothing. I was really like, oh, what is this here for a world? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you weren't, you weren't like an artist or a creative as a child making things or... Yeah, and I was on a kind of music school and I had this experience to work with these kind of materials. Mm-hmm. And then I was there at the academy and I thought, oh, what's now? And then I started to study art history to understand it better. Yeah, and that was in Vienna. That was in Vienna and then I went in... 1997 to Berlin and could make the experience to live here in a city where the club culture was very important and this was very lively period here. Oh, so since 97 then that's it, Berlin is your home. Mm -hmm. Okay, so sculpture and then you came to Berlin. How did you find your way to photography? At the end of my studies here in Berlin, I then my mother said, uh, finally, you have to do something serious. And then I had to finish my studies here in Berlin. And at the end, I found something very interesting. It was a tradition in Vienna where dead people were brought to life again for photography, reanimated in a way. So they fixed the dead people in chairs they fixed them they reopened the eyes they made a makeup and with the open eyes they made a photo of these Mm -hmm. people looking like they would be still alive 
Oh, okay. And I found this very interesting because there are so many layers coming together from art theory, art history, tradition of cultural science. And so I thought it would be interesting to write about this tradition. It was very common in south of Germany and in Vienna or in, in Austria. And then I wrote about it and then I was in the direction of photography. Oh, right. From them documenting exactly. the dead people. There was just a camera and... <laughs> so I was in photography and when you are in this field, then I applied for a kind of fellowship and I worked in different museums here in Germany mm -hmm. and uh, now I'm fixed in this medium. Because you went to, I wrote them down, so you were at the Photo Museum in Munich, Kupferstisch Cabinet in Dresden and then Museum Folkwang in Essen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I assume also in a kind of a curatorial role or something to that effect. I would say very beginning, more to be involved in this kind of processes. What is it to work in a museum and to work on books and on all these questions? But I was a little bit in touch with this field and I really loved it. And I guess then you were, you spent brief periods in each city? Yeah, and it was the time where my first daughter was born and I always had to switch between Dresden and Berlin and Munich and Berlin. So more time in the train than... Oh, so your family was still in Berlin? Yeah, yeah. My family was based in Berlin and I had to work in these museums. And so when did you finally come to the CO? In 2005, Stefan Erdfurt, one of the founders of CO Berlin, asked me to have a coffee with him. Then we were sitting there and he said, oh, Felix, uh, I want to make a big exhibition space on photography. We are going in the world. We'll be, uh, we are not sure, a museum, but we will do something and we have a big team. And then a few weeks later, I came in an office. There was only one person sitting <laughs> in <laughs> And 11 other desks were empty. Oh, so you were there at the start? I was there. And then I asked, what is it here? You promised me a big team. <laughs> and then he said, yeah, we lost a lot of money and we had to... Um, Downsize? <laughs> yeah, no, we had to, to kick out all the other people. So they just left <laughs> a few days before I came. And then with the other colleague, Karin Hensler, we built up a structure and tried to do something on this idea of what CO Berlin can be. Yeah. Wow. And why was it called CO Berlin? Like care of Berlin? Yeah. Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> so it was founded in an old post office. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting building because the first Berlin Biennial took place there in 1998. And then CO was founded there. And there was a long discussion on photography, a center for photography in Germany, but nothing really happened. So Stefan thought it would be a good idea to combine the idea of taking care of when you live a part-time somewhere with this idea of post or the post office with the idea of taking care of Berlin. Yeah. So a very... Prominent idea now, but yeah, that was the very beginning. Was this CO one of the first then in Germany? Because did the Deichtorhallen in Hamburg already exist? I don't know exactly when the Museum for Photography was founded, but it was, you know, we are an independent place. Mm -hmm. And the other places in Germany are always connected to museums or collections. Yeah. 
And nobody really understood why we want to be independent, what we are doing, why photography. Mm -hmm. And it's still the big question, why is it necessary to have a place for only photography and not for other mediums? Yeah, because I know when other people come to Berlin, they say, oh, where should I go? And whenever I describe the CO, I say, oh, do you know the photographer's gallery in London? Mm. That's Germany's equivalent. Yeah, that's true. So there are a few in France. There mm. are or more in France, then there is the Photographer's Gallery. So worldwide, there are some mm -hmm. cooperation partners, friends, colleagues we are always working with. But in Germany, we are a little bit unique here. Yeah. And you said a lot of people say, why do you need a place like this? Why do you need a place like this? I think it, it's necessary to think about photography more than around other mediums because photography is really dominating our everyday life mm -hmm. and when we have a look in our phones or on our screens wherever they are then we are always confronted with photography and i think it's really necessary in the 21st century to deal with this kind of image world yeah and what does it mean to have this world around when we think about censorship, when we think about geotagging, when we think about all these methods to to watch us. So there are some really relevant questions. Yeah, because thinking about it now, how actually how long has the CO existed? I guess it's about 20 years then, isn't it? Yeah, we are now 20 years old. It's our birthday year with the pandemia. It's quite hard to make a big party. Yeah. So we hope to have it next year. And we are now an independent foundation. Mm -hmm. So when we moved from the old post office to the America house near the train station zoo, we decided to become a foundation with no rich person behind us, no much money behind us, just mainly living from the entrance fee. So there is still a lot of idealism and craziness to survive, really. Yeah, okay. Was there a bit of a shift since coming to West Berlin? Maybe that core ethos is the same, but maybe structurally there's been a few changes. The space is different. The old space was 19th century. It was really a ruin. It's enormous though. The old one, I remember. It was really it's, big. But it was really, really crazy. You know, there was the opening of the big retrospective by Nan Golden. Mm -hmm. And there were, I don't know, four, four and a half thousand people in the building. And the big water pipe broke oh during so the show to bring the water down in the basement <laughs> and i was with the housekeeper in the basement standing in a lot of um things where you don't want to stand yeah. in and it was impossible to say okay now we close the building people should go home <laughs> So, so we had to find a solution. So, and now we are in a safe place where we have climate control, where yeah. we, everything is secured. And of course, now we can play in another role and we can play with other partners and we can borrow things from international museums, what we couldn't do before. No. Okay. Yeah. But then I guess in your role as a chief curator, what does that involve? Because I've, sp I've spoken to a number of different curators and I know yeah, even yeah. when I've, through my gallery, when people go, oh, you're curating, a lot of people just think, well, you just put things on the wall and that's yeah, curating. Yeah. Like, what do you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It covers uh, a lot of things, doesn't yeah, it? Like yeah. a lot of tasks and jobs. A lot of jobs. people think 
I have the most creative role in the team. And unfortunately, that's not always true. I have to deal with a lot of administration and mm -hmm. there are around 40 people working here. Wow. Okay. So with all the people working in the security, the technical team and the stuff in the office, it's quite something. And Without attracting a lot of people for exhibitions, paying entrance fee, mm -hmm. we would not exist anymore. And yeah. that's a big portion of our income. So I always have to deal with popular things, mm -hmm. with a good content. So it's a fragile bridge between both poles, I would say. Yeah. So you do then have to make things that are quite broad. So that they appeal to larger audiences. And you have had some superstar shows over the years. But then you also, I suppose, depending on the success of those, that then funds the more experimental exhibitions or the ones where you you want to do them both, but really when you can actually yeah, yeah. play an experiment. Yeah, and you know, th there's always the wish to show unknown young photographers, but mm -hmm. nobody would come for them. So we build a program around, I would say, these kind of talents mm -hmm. where we have a big ship going in the front, sometimes very known people, and then we can build smaller ships coming with the big boat. Oh, so parallel exhibitions within exactly. the space. Exactly, the parallel exhibitions. And then we reach more than a quarter million people mm -hmm. coming here, which is quite a lot for our small space. Yeah. You mentioned talents. I was going to talk about it later, mm. but we might as well bring it up now. I remember from when you were in the post building or the post stamped, mm -hmm. I think the last one I saw on the website was Talents 40. But then mm -hmm. since 2018... It's now an award or has shifted? Like what's yeah, the story behind this? So the general structure of our talents program is a combination of young artists or photographers combined with young art critics. So a writer combining with a visual artist. We made four exhibitions per year, always combined with a catalog or a mm -hmm. book. And when we moved here, we realized oh, four exhibitions in addition to another 10 It's quite something. Yeah. And you always have to prepare this. You always have to think about how you can find these people. It's not only the book you have to do, the exhibition. You have to realize it's as well to find the money, to find a structure, infrastructure to, to make it. And then we said it's too much for us. And we restructured it. And now it's the talent of the year. Mm -hmm. And we make the book bigger and we give the young people a little bit money. Okay. Is it an open call? Or? It was an open call. Everybody could apply, but when we decided to restructure it, it's now a, a nomination process where we ask people, professionals from all over the world to send us names mm -hmm. and then a jury comes together and make a selection. That's the same process. We had a, always a jury. Yeah. Okay. And I imagine it's a different jury every year, so different yeah. professionals yeah. throughout the field. Exactly. Always an artist, one from newspapers or a journalist, mm -hmm. sometimes curators, something like that. Because I saw this year was Anna Ehrenstein. Yeah. And Emily Watlington is the theorist. Yes. They will then work together, like Emily will do the text for Anna, or how yes. does it... Yeah, we try to find a good combination, and Anna is... Obviously, coming from more a digital world. Mm -hmm. Did you know about her work before? I saw some of her pieces, but more in, in a physical gallery space. Mm -hmm. And then we got the application and I was really surprised how vivid and, and other structured she's working. It's really interesting. Like, I think I met her 
three or four years ago in Arles, the first time I went, and it was through another photographer. They were just hanging out. She's like, oh, have a look at my book. And since that time, it seems she's getting a bigger show and a bigger show. And yeah. when I checked to see who the talent winner was this yeah. year, I thought, oh, wow, Anna's been nominated for this as well, and she's yeah. won it. It's really great. Yeah. She ticks a lot of the boxes for what's really current for dealing with intercultural relations. I guess a lot of the dialogue about colonialism, representation of women and dominant hierarchies. Mm -hmm. What is the plan for her work? Her show is coming. Actually, it's planned. So we cannot really say because our space is now closed since November 2nd. And the actual planning for the show is end of January 21 for the opening. So... But you have to wait and see with the corona. Yeah. As a museum or the foundation, have you had to change much of your scheduling, your programming? Have you gone more digital? Like a lot of other people have poured a lot into their digital presence. Yeah. Has it forced you guys to do the same? Yeah. Uh, if there would be enough budget, uh, we would have reacted immediately. But, uh, you know, when you have to deal with a situation where for us it's actually more important to save the income of our people working here. Yeah. Then it was not so easy to deal with these kind of ideas. What can we do in the digital world? And mm -hmm. I'm not a friend of filming the actual running exhibition or in the digital world. So it's something different when you enter a space. It's physical. You uh, smell something. There are other people around you. It's a physical object on the wall. Mm -hmm. And to go around with a camera and I'm talking for one and a half hours, it's a little bit boring, I would say. <laughs> and so <laughs> we decided not to do this type of digital or enter in the digital world. So we develop really projects with artists for this ideas, what would fit better. And we try to make some aspects or transport aspects of our program in a magazine or something like that to find another platform. Because mm -hmm. you have the newspaper, don't you? This is the exactly. Newspaper. We have a, a newspaper. It's coming four times a year. We print 20,000 copies and give it free to the people. And what we now try to find out is, is it a good idea to take content from the newspaper in the digital world or should we find something fresh and new? And so there we are thinking about yeah okay but the situation is very very hard because i have now the second or maybe third time this year to restructure the whole program yeah for the next upcoming two years and it's always you know when you co-produce with other museums and partners exhibitions it's uh, like a domino game yeah for the timing because usually exhibitions they visit a number of locations yeah and You know, when you take over or you co-produce from other museums' exhibitions or you send exhibitions out, it's always a, a game, you know. You mm -hmm. never know if that really can happen in the future. <laughs> yeah, I know definitely for me, until everything's under control, yeah, it's too hard to try to program things. But for a foundation or for a large institute, that must be such a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Are you, or is the foundation eligible for any of the funding that's come from Berlin? Because I know in a lot of the art press, it's been quite... Uh, this year is the first year where we got some funding. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, we pay a quarter million euros here for the building, rent, pure yeah. rent. And in Germany, you say cold rent. So there yeah. is no electricity <laughs> and heating involved. So it needs another high number mm -hmm. to make it warm. And then we got some money from the government, but it levels this kind of rent out. Yeah, so okay. it's, it's help, 
It's a lot of help, but uh, more uh, would be better. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a friends program here? Yeah, we have a friendship circle. You mean yeah. a friendship circle? Yeah. They help a lot with our education program. There are a few hundred people in and we have an own education department. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very important because we make a lot of programs with teenagers and kids not having parents anymore, oh, really? living on the street, refugees. And we did a lot of things over the last years working with them. There are a lot of experience what you have to make in this field. And we try to do more than deal with children from normal, I would say, normal families. Yeah. You know? And this is very important. So how long has that existed for working with, let's say, disenfranchised or disadvantaged children? Yeah, we always try to find professionals from these groups to enter these worlds. And sometimes, you know, you start with 15 refugees and on the second day you have three. And then you have a translator, you have some people having specialists mm -hmm. working with them. And then you ask yourself, oh, what is wrong here? Sometimes it's not the structure of this program, it's more the things around, the framing, but they are always plopping up a lot of questions. Yeah. I guess how successful has it been? Yeah, you cannot say in numbers how successful it is. Sometimes, you know, it's this kind of touch or glimpse, a yeah. moment where that what you do changes the life of these persons, but you never know. Actually, we did with the Harald Hauswald exhibition. It's an older photographer lived in the GDR, so East Berlin. And he did um, a project with homeless people for a magazine and an institution called Corona. And the magazine is called Compass. Mm -hmm. So they did this workshop. Then they published the photographs in a newspaper. And the newspaper is actually on sale here in Berlin. You know, these kind of what people, homeless people can sell in trains and subway. This took us two years to develop it because Karuna said, no, we don't want to have you. Because you are only working on your, how do you say, self secure system that you feel comfortable you want to feel comfortable in your rich art system and you come as an helicopter and want to not really help us in the future we only want to have people helping us in a continuity and yeah. not coming in plopping in plopping out so it needed two years to convince them and harold was the perfect person to work with them Is that an ongoing collaboration? We hope so. Yeah. 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 It's really fascinating what came out of these workshops. Interesting photography and interesting interaction. Yeah. I mean, I can believe it because I know in Australia we have remote communities with mm. the indigenous people. And it's. I think it's a very privileged white thing even to travel to exactly. Africa and build a well and feel good yeah. about yourself and then go home. And then everybody else is still living in yeah. horrendous conditions. Yeah. I understand the point of view of the publication, but good then that it's an ongoing partnership that it'll continue. Yeah. yeah, that is the most fruitful process when you have these kind of partnerships where you learn from each other. I think learning is a very important topic in this education field, you know. Yeah, I didn't realize, I think, until we spoke at the Foam Talent Show mm. and you were mentioning that the education program at the CEO is really a core part of mm. the foundation. Mm. Is it just for children and teenagers? We do stuff for adults as well? For adults as well, but this is a very complicated field. 
Yeah. You, know, you always need a kind of prominent <laughs> photographers or artists to work with adults because you need other budgets and to attract these kind of people. Yeah. Do you work with the other people in the area? I'm just thinking when you're saying about partnerships, when you relocated from Mitter to Charlottenburg, the Helmut Newton Foundation is just there. Yeah. You can see it through the window. Meters, yeah. yeah. And there's a, a number of other galleries in this area that showcase photography. Mm. But is there a bit more of an exchange now? Uh, yeah, with the other institutions here, directly in the neighborhood, we work a lot. So mm -hmm. the Helmut Newton Foundation and the Museum for Photography of the States Museums. But everyone has his own program and yeah. then there are sometimes options to connect or to build a small bridge. So when we had a big exhibition on surveillance in art and photography, we worked together yeah. with the Museum for Photography and this was very, very fruitful because they have more material from the history of photography and you have then another or can get another idea yeah. what this can be. Have there been, speaking about big exhibitions, have there been, over the time that you've worked at the CO, any real highlights or major photographers that you've had the opportunity to work with that maybe you didn't think you'd be able to before or that have really been a turning point for you? Yeah, you know, there are these moments and I would always say the moments are not the moments with the photographers or with the work. Sometimes it is, but for me, it's often the experience with the people, the audience. And one of the most touching moments were when people came out crying from the projection Ballad of Sexual Dependency, what Nan Golden did in 1994 here in Berlin, the first time in the New National Gallery. And we had it on display in 2009. It was a show on her grids, so kind of collages and her slideshows. And it was really, really touching how the people reacted. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's this reaction when artists are with us for a while mm -hmm. and then they react on what we are doing. So Larry Clark in the old space was sitting in our window of the library. It was the opening night mm -hmm. and the crowd was coming in the courtyard of this old post office. He was looking out of the window and saying, what are these people are doing here? <laughs> I said, yeah, they are coming for you. Oh my God, I'm not going out. <laughs> so, and then as a curator, you have, on one hand, you're very happy. A lot of people are coming. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, you have a shy artist behind you. So very funny. Yeah. I mean, I think it's often the unexpected things or the, yeah. what's not planned. That Always. Know, that's going to yeah. stay with me. And I like these kind of unexpected things a lot. Sometimes it's very stressful, but sometimes <laughs> it's very, very funny. Yeah, but mostly funny when you look back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like when your flights get cancelled and then you have to yeah. run around town. In the yeah. moment, it's hell, but then afterwards, yeah. it's always a funny story. Yeah, true. I think I missed the show when it was here, but there was an exhibition, Das Letzte Build, yeah. which is about death and photography. Yeah. But it was 15 years or 20 years since you wrote your piece about it or when you mm -hmm. were studying. Yeah, yeah. And that must have been in the back of your mind for a long time to finally put that show together. How was realizing it in the end? Yeah, it was a long research project. So this was as well a project looking back. It started with this experience of these people from 19th century fixed in chairs, reopened eyes, and then made a photograph 
So this was the starting point of the exhibition, but it was more the question how we as a society in the Western world deal with the dead body mm -hmm. and what traditions are there when we think about becoming an image, becoming a picture, becoming a photograph. There were several layers formulated in this exhibition. So we had in the entrance a lot of death masks because coming as close as possible to the dead body follows the same idea what the photographers wanted to do in 19th century. And then we combined a lot of things with contemporary art and things you normally don't want to see or you want not to have around you. Ah, okay. When you think about the morgue, when you think about everything what has to do with war or what we had in Germany here in the 1940s with concentration camps. Mm -hmm. And when they were opened, what results were visible for photojournalists and then were published in newspapers. So there were a lot of questions around this. Yeah. Did you personally discover anything new? Like since the initial research that you had done, when you revisited the subject, was there anything else that came out of it? Of course. We did a wonderful book that came out. And of course, when you do this kind of exhibitions, it's again a research starting. And I found a wonderful dialogue between Heiner Müller. He's a writer living in, oh, he was a writer in living in East Berlin and he died on cancer. And Before he died, he fell in love with a young woman mm -hmm. and she became pregnant and he had cancer. So they always passed each other over a Polaroid camera and took pictures of each other. So she was pregnant, he was dying, in a dying process. Yeah. And this was such a touching, you know, this kind of dialogue, saying goodbye, a new child she she was giving birth and then anna the child was growing and and the last picture in this series was when he passed away and the first time that this picture on the deathbed was on display was here in the exhibition it was oh, never wow. shown never published and is very touching yeah thinking also then about the time difference between when you did the research in vienna mm. and then curating the exhibition in berlin How was the cultural attitudes towards the subject matter when you did the initial research? Digital was really just starting. So we didn't have the same proliferation of images as what we have now. And our relationship mm -hmm. to photography was a mm -hmm. lot different. So doing the show later, were the attitudes of the audiences different? You mean in the death exhibition? Yeah. There are now digital strategies to deal with this mm -hmm. moment of death. So there are these homepages. I have forgotten the names, but you can put on several pages the last picture mm -hmm. of someone. So it's It's, it's like a digital gravestone. Oh, really? And we integrated this next to gravestones Nan Golden photographed. So we always tried to find these kind of combinations. Mm -hmm. And this was very, very fruitful, how people are now saying goodbye in a newer age of 
dealing with yeah. photography. Yeah, I suppose it's also how we deal with grief, maybe as a modern society. Yeah. But to find a condensed version of this topic was the hardest thing, I would say. Yeah. Because you always have to think about, should you integrate other cultures? Mm -hmm. Then you realize that Europe and Northern America has this tradition in religions, how to deal with the body mm -hmm. and the role of photography is very much connected to this. And then you have to really find a structure and to define this kind of structure. Otherwise you get lost. Yeah. <laughs> There was one other show I thought, I'd, well, there's another show I'd like to ask you about. Mm -hmm. I think because when it was shown here last year, a lot of people were saying that was almost a bookend or like they were feeling the end of an era happening. Mm -hmm. And I think now, particularly because of COVID, mm -hmm. the club scene in Berlin has essentially come to a standstill. Mm -hmm. And even that's at Bergheim. It's open now as an exhibition space mm -hmm. and they have works of contemporary art there. And you were saying in your youth that you were in Berlin. Part yeah. of the appeal of Berlin was also the club culture. So how did you go about putting the shows together the mm. no photos on the dance floor no photos on the dance floor was the title yeah so the title was more related to the actual situation that all of the people are now taking pictures and in several clubs it's forbidden to mm. take pictures yeah you have to leave your phones in the entrance yeah and the title was a reaction to this idea or following this idea and the interesting thing is when i came to berlin i found spaces you know where this kind of installations were just integrated in the club world where a tv screen was there showing something there was a slide projector there was the digital projectors were not existing mm -hmm. so it was mainly this kind of analog world and when you come out of the university as a young student for art history you always wonder what is this now have i seen this now in my seminar going around Namjoon Pike or other media artists mm -hmm. because it, it felt so similar, you know, when I was in the club. And then you start dancing surrounded from this kind of visual world. And for me, it was very important that the music and this kind of visual interaction came together. Yeah, And this was the reason why we did the show Because was it initially planned to be a show about Berlin's club culture? Or was it because yeah. it was the 30th anniversary of reunification as yeah. well? Mm, oh, no, yeah, it, it came together with came this, together, but, yeah. but it was more the, the idea to, to think about the relationship of photography and music or techno culture. So it's more the electronic music field. Mm -hmm. And I found an, an old friend, his name is Heiko, and he's more in the music world and we did the show together so he's more related to music i'm more related to photography and we brought our ideas together and it was a very interesting exhibition one year later you would say today it would be impossible yeah because we converted a part of our museum space in a nightclub mm -hmm. where during the night uh, hundreds of people <laughs> were dancing yeah so this was a part of the concept so we really switched video installations what we had on display during the daytime off mm -hmm. and installed there a club during night and we did this i don't know six or seven nights very complicated to install in a yeah, museum where, space where a, a bar in the big space backside <laughs> and uh, very interesting because you need really good equipment you know we hired very prominent DJs <laughs> and they asked us for equipment we were thinking oh my gosh 
and then you have this aspect and then you need a bar to yeah and then you need a lot of people yeah no, i remember for the opening night when but this saw, was crazy yeah i thought should i even try but yeah. how did you bring together so many different photographers because it extends from the bigger names like wolfgang tillmans and sven marquardt who's quite known obviously in berlin mm. but then you've got a lot of younger artists as well how did you manage to get 30 years worth of berlin club culture Oh, it was a long research process. I went in the gay museum here to find pieces. And then, you know, I went in old photo labs to ask people if they know someone from the club culture scene. And then you realize the only persons who took pictures in the 90s were only people working there as a oh, doorkeeper, okay. bouncer, or mm -hmm. on the bar, because it was very unusual that someone is having a camera in the club you know mm. the cameras were much bigger than an iphone yeah so and this was very unusual and so we found some of these people taking pictures there from mid 90s until the era of the digital mm -hmm. and then we always try to find good combinations with contemporary artists yeah Because when I saw, and I've met him a few times actually, George, I'm going to say his surname incorrectly, George Nieberitzer. Yeah, George, yeah. He's brilliant. He's amazing, like really He's good. He's amazing. But he was also in the show, wasn't yes. he? Yes, he was one of the most important younger positions in the show, really, really important, doing amazing work and very much related to this kind of direct, confrontative photography what we know from nan golden or mm -hmm. larry clark so really deep in the scene not working as a voyeur more living in this field and dealing with these kind of music drugs club world living in uh, several aspects of sexual mm -hmm. relations so very very interesting no, i thought i think i saw his second book i mean i think he has two or three books now maybe yeah he's working on a new one but through the actual situation i don't know if he's yeah it's gonna be can bring now. it out because it's so hard to yeah. survive for photographers as well yeah but definitely when you were saying about larry clark and golden it feels like he is documenting his tribe It's not, I'm going to go into that community and, exactly. and capture it. Yeah, It's like, yeah. no, this is, these are my people exactly. and I'm going to document what's happening around us. Yeah, but then he became father during that period and he took pictures of the birth process. Mm -hmm. And it's um, really something he's taking pictures from where you say, oh, I don't know if I want to see it. <laughs> but then it's really giving energy. Yeah. So there is a lot of energy, you know. It's a question what society needs when you think about pictures. So it's not always a friendly world surrounding us. Yeah, I think in terms of younger photographers, he's probably mm -hmm. one of the more fresher yeah. voices or, yeah. that I've True. definitely seen. But it's very hard to find these people, you know, like Jorge, it's, it was a really long research process. And then you have another five other good photographers around. Yeah. But then you'd think, okay, the space is limited. What is the most intense work? Mm -hmm. And then you go in touch with the person and then you interact with this person. And then you think, okay, that's the right work now for this exhibition. Yeah. How do you know as a curator when you found something that you know this is special, this is important and I think we should show it? It's all about intensity. And you th I think it's always the question, 
what are you interested actually? Mm -hmm. It's more the question, are you now interested in photography as a medium, asking questions to the medium, to the history, to the materiality? Are you asking through photography society? What we had in the foam exhibition, here was this questioning aspect, is photography in limbo? Mm -hmm. Is the world in a crisis through ecological, economical, political questions? And is photography interacting to this? And then you have these kind of languages in photography where you really have these intense interactions between the photography and the society. And I always wonder, how do you feel really engaged with something or someone? Um, so it's it's an open question. I, I cannot say yeah. how it really functions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't personally think it's in a crisis. If yeah. anything, it's more alive and vibrant now because more people have access to it. Yeah. Whereas before, and I think you notice it definitely when you go to the flea markets and you look at vintage photos or you find ones then, because at that time you needed to know how to operate a camera. Mm -hmm. You needed to know how to use the dark room. You needed to be a technician yeah. just to take a yeah. photograph. So True. all of them were quite well composed. Whereas now everybody has a camera. Yeah. But do you think we're maybe we're not learning enough about visual language? No, we have to learn more. That's the biggest question and we have to deal all with uh, questions about fake news, about surveillance. We have to deal with this as a society and this is the relevant question why we are still existing as an independent space for mainly photography. Mm -hmm. Because people are always asking me, why only photography? Why a space only for photography? And I think this is uh, the answer. The answer is that a society needs in a way it's not education it's more interaction with this field of still and moving images what we have in our pockets every day it's our everyday life and we don't learn it at school yeah. you know we learn reading writing mathematics we learn all this but we don't learn looking and that's the biggest question and i think this is why we are there yeah absolutely I hope you enjoyed our conversation and gained some insight into Felix Hoffman's role of Chief Curator at CO Berlin. As usual, you can find links to the topics we spoke about and related social media in the show notes. If you have any comments, questions or feedback to this or any previous episodes of the show, you're welcome to reach out and let me know. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Subtext and Discourse on your preferred streaming platform or go on better and leave a rating or review. There's one more episode left for 2020. I'll be speaking with Anna Schwartz, co-founder of Office in Part, about the future of galleries and how they can better innovate in this volatile climate. But until then, thanks for tuning in. My name's Michael Dooney, and you've been listening to Subtext and Discourse.